Thanks, Brad. It is a wonderful thing to see and to hear about people growing in the Lord and people coming to the Lord. And it's remarkable how God weaves things together from Pakistan to Wisconsin, and yet with skills that transfer from one to the other. Let's pray. We're going to pray a little bit for our missionaries a moment, and then also pray for God's word, which we are about to hear. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ who came to seek and to save the lost. Father, this morning we are grateful for how you have worked through Brad, through his life, through his current ministry to draw people closer to you and to help people meet you for the first time. Father, we are grateful for all of the people we support as missionaries and all the people who you have called and sent out to bring your word to to places where it has not been heard or where it has not yet been fully received. And Father, we are grateful that, that you continue to speak also to us. We're grateful for your word, for, for this story, again, of Jesus who came to seek and to save us. Lord, we pray that through the time we spend together this morning hearing your word and sharing in your supper, that you would draw each and every one of us from where we are to be closer to you and to live more in tune with you. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. So we're starting a new series today. And uh, usually, you know, I want to jump into the text. God's Word does speak first. But for this series, I want to give a bit of a series intro. So not so much an intro to this sermon as to this whole series. And then we'll read the text in just a little bit. So I recently heard about a, a famous medieval clock. And I actually want to start by asking you a question that you probably know the answer to, but maybe don't know the answer to. Are hours in December, are hours in December the same length as hours in June? Yes? All right. The answer I'm looking for, well, yes is the right answer. Okay. But the answer can also be it depends. So there's this guy called Richard of Wallingford who lived several hundred years ago, and he built this amazing clock, one of the earliest mechanical clocks, and it kept track of several different types of hours, several different types of time. It kept the equal hours, what we call our 24-hour day, where every, every hour has 60 minutes and they're all the same year round. It also kept track of time based on the unequal hours. And I had never heard of that before, but the unequal hours are when it's colder and darker outside and the days are shorter, there's still 12 hours during the day, but every hour is shorter. And there's still 12 hours of darkness, but every hour of darkness is longer. And then in the summer, when it's June and the days are longer, the daytime hours are longer and the nighttime hours are shorter, but there's always 12 daytime and 12 nighttime hours. And then the clock, if you aren't lost yet, this one's really going to lose you because I still don't get it. But it also kept track of what's called true time. And because the earth rotates the sun in a not quite circular orbit and a number of other things, days are actually not exactly 24 hours. They can be off by 30 seconds or so. And this clock also kept track of that. And that was useful for astronomy, for being able to, to track exactly where certain stars would be in relation to the earth at different times of the year. Now, do you need to remember any of what I just said? No. If you want to talk more about it, I'm happy to talk more about it. But, but here's what I want us to get from that. There are lots of ways of keeping our time. 
Lots of ways of, of tracking how our hours divide and of thinking through what our hours, what our time, what our days, what our lives look like. And often we glide along just thinking, well, you know, this is all right. And we do what we do. We do what the people around us do. And we just kind of take day after day. And you know, in many respects, that's good. The Lord has blessed us with living in a very peaceful and prosperous place. The, the Lord has blessed many of us to grow up in the faith. And so our, our default timekeeping is, is not so bad, maybe. But I think often when we just go by default, we perhaps are keeping time in a way that doesn't really fit with true time. We're living our lives in a way that's okay, but it's not really as much as what the Lord calls us to. We are, we are living in a way that doesn't quite doesn't quite match with how God calls us to live. And so this Advent and then into January, we're going to be working through Luke 1 and 2. And Luke 1 and 2 are really the, the gospel that gives us the clearest picture of Jesus' birth and his very, very early life. And we're going to come back to these in part because this is the classic Christmas story. And every now and then we just, we just have to have the angels and the shepherds and the baby Jesus in the manger. And, and we need to hear that story but we don't need to hear that story because it's a cute and wonderful story. We need to hear that story because it is the real story of the universe. And we need to be always measuring our lives by whether we are living according to the story of the Lord, whether we are keeping time with His time, or whether we've wandered or strayed or drifted into something different. So today and in the weeks ahead, I want us, as we listen to these very familiar stories, to be asking ourselves, am I really in time with the Lord? Am I using my time? Am I keeping time in keeping with the real story of Jesus? So that's the, the series intro. That's where we're going for the next couple months. But now let's jump into Luke chapter 1. We'll read verses 1, or chapter 1, verses 5 to 25 this morning. If you come back this evening, I'll have a brief message on Luke 1, 1 to 4, and then Brad and I will have a conversation opening that up some more for today. But now hear God's word from Luke chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord." He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was complete, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to work through this text in four, four scenes or four steps today. And the first scene is, is that God's people, that Zechariah and Elizabeth, live in goodness and in grief. Luke really goes out of his way to say, look at Zechariah and Elizabeth. These are good people. Zechariah is of one of the old priestly lines. His wife Elizabeth is descended from the family of Aaron. And in those days, to have a, a union, a marriage between two people who were both descended from, from the priestly regiments was really considered a great blessing, a, a privilege. And these are people who keep the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. They are, they are righteous, upright people. They would be a credit to the church today. They were a credit to the temple back then. And Zechariah did his work as a priest well. It doesn't, doesn't seem like he was a high priest or really high up in the ranks, but but he was one of those who did his work well and properly, and so he was eligible to have this once-in-a-lifetime privilege of, of spreading the incense, of going into the most holy place, of, of truly being in the presence of God in a unique way. These are good people. But they are also people whose lives are full of grief. They've never had children. And now they're, they're old, and the age of childbearing has passed them by, and and maybe we understand this grief. I think some of us understand it very, very well. But back then, this was a grief that was so much worse than today. Today, for those who don't have children, we, we by and large have sympathy, and, and there are things you can try, and there's this and there's that. But back then, there really wasn't much you could do, and you were honestly kind of despised. People thought you had somehow displeased God, and so you were always someone out there someone on the edge. There was something wrong with you. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth live in this, this mix of goodness and also grief. And they here in Luke are, are a picture of all of God's people at this point, that yes, they have the temple and, and they have this and they have that and they have all kinds of gifts from the Lord, but, but their nation is unfulfilled. They do not see how God is at work. And perhaps Zechariah and Elizabeth can be stand-ins for us today, too. Many of us are blessed with really good lives, and, and we followed the Lord from childhood, and, and things are really pretty good, and we feel like we have a good relationship with God. He's given us lots of gifts. But at the same time, many of our lives are empty and aching. There are voids and gaps. Perhaps it is that we never had children. Perhaps it is that, that our children have wandered from the faith. 
Perhaps it is that our children have passed away before us or even our grandchildren. There are just so many ways that even as God's people, we, we gather and give thanks, but at the same time, it is hard to see how God is at work. So that's the situation Zechariah is in as he steps into the temple. But then, then wonderful things happen. The word of the Lord comes to Zechariah, and it comes with promises of greater things. Gabriel meets Zechariah in the temple, and he is, he is an angel. An angel literally means messenger. And this messenger comes from God and, and delivers a message straight to Zechariah, and he promises great things. And I'm going to go through several things quickly here. If you have the Bible open in front of you, I'm just going through those verses. Well, first, first Gabriel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And for us just reading, maybe we, we wonder why he says that. But if you picture an angel, you should not picture a, a cute, fluffy kind of creature. You should picture the most powerful human being you have ever met turned way, way up. A powerful and terrifying presence. And so the first thing Gabriel has to say is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then he goes on and he tells Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. And in the context, you have to wonder what prayer Zechariah would have thought had been heard. Probably his prayers in the temple for God's glory to increase, for his, his nation to finally have their destiny. But, but the angel says, your prayers have been heard. What a gift to have an angel come and say, your prayers have been heard. And then the angel says, and you'll have a son. The hope you've carried your whole life, it'll come true. And then the angel goes on and says, and this son will be great. He will be wonderful. He will be mighty. The Lord's spirit will be with him. It just gets better and better. And then he says, this son of yours will bring people back to the Lord. He will be a great servant of the Lord. Better and better and better. And in fact, even your son, this son who you will name John, he will be the one who goes before the Lord to proclaim his coming. This is news that the people of the Lord had been waiting for for centuries. And Gabriel builds and builds and builds to better and better and better and better news. And for us too, the word of the Lord comes and it gives us better and better and better news. We have, many of us, read the Bible so much and heard the stories so much that, that we no longer hear them as, as fulfilled promises, as incredible good news. But, but church, this is incredible good news. The Lord himself, the king of the universe, has come to us, has come to seek and to save us. This has been accomplished. There is nothing better you will ever hear in your whole life. The Lord the Lord is at work. The Lord comes. And after this text has Gabriel give us that word of the Lord, that wonderful message, there are two responses. Two responses. We'll talk about Zachariah's response and then Elizabeth's. And Zachariah's re response is, how can I be sure of this? I mean, I'm old. And then smart man here, he doesn't call his wife old. He says, I'm old and my wife is well advanced in years? How can I be sure of this? And Gabriel responds, because you didn't believe me, you're not going to be able to speak till the child comes. And honestly, this, this part here with Gabriel and Zechariah has always bugged me. It sounds like someone shows up here during the offering and walks in and, and grabs one of the deacons by the elbow and says, hey, I'm going to write you a check for a million dollars. 
wonderful. And the deacon says, are you serious? And the guy says, well, I was, but not anymore. Are you serious? And he walks out, and on the way out, he throws a rock through the doors and, and drives off in a huff. This text has always felt a little bit to me like Gabriel's being a little, a little more intense than maybe he needs to be, as if Zechariah is getting punished for what seems like a pretty natural question. If you are at the age of 90 or if you ever reach the, reach the age of 90 and someone says, hey, you're going to have a baby, uh, you might say, What? Why does Zachariah respond like this, and why does Gabriel respond like this? So I worked at that a fair amount this week, because it's always bothered me, and I think it's, it's helpful for us to really understand this text to get the dynamics there. And I think there are several things going on here, so let's, let's work through this a bit. First, first, I think Zachariah should know better. He really should. He's a priest. He's from a priestly line. He's in the temple. He's doing this thing that he would do exactly once in his lifetime if he was blessed to be selected by the lot. Not every priest was guaranteed this. He is doing this once-in-a-lifetime event at the place where God's presence is most clearly with his people. And so maybe he shouldn't be so surprised that, that God would speak to him there. And then second, an angel has appeared to him. I've never had an angel appear to me that I know of, but but an angel has appeared to this guy. I mean, this is, this is probably someone who's, I don't know, glowing and extra tall. And, and just think of all kinds of grand and glorious things. And why would you question this? This is in the context of the Lord's presence. This is an amazing messenger from God. And, and so, yeah, Zechariah probably could have responded better. He probably could have. There is some level that we should say, you know, Zechariah, I don't know if you got that quite right. Okay, but second, this actually isn't a rejection of Zechariah. In fact, Gabriel gives Zechariah exactly what he asked for. When Zechariah says, how can this be true? Commentators say the language there is basically Zechariah saying, well, how can I be sure? Give me a sign. Give me a sign seems to be what Zechariah is saying. And what does Gabriel do? Gabriel gives Zechariah a sign. Okay, you want a sign? Here's your sign. You won't be able to talk until this baby comes. And that sounds a little vengeful, and it probably is a, a little bit punitive, a little bit saying, come on, Zechariah, you could have done better. But at the same time, it's exactly what Zechariah asked for. He said, show me some proof. And Gabriel gives him some proof. Here is a tangible sign. Here is something that when you walk out of the temple and for the next few months, day after day, you will have something to remind you that the Lord has spoken and has given you this great promise. Is it the sign Zechariah would have chosen? Probably not. But nonetheless, it's an enduring sign that God's promises will come true. And third, I think we should notice that this doesn't change God's plan. Zechariah probably doesn't respond the best. And, you know, Gabriel could have said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I came to you with a message from the Lord. You doubted and questioned. You are off the list. Get out of here. Send in another priest. We're going to change the plan. The Lord could have done that. But instead, the Lord said, we are going to do exactly what my plan was. And I'm going to fulfill my promises to you exactly like I said, even though you kind of messed up. 
So I think there is room here for us to, to reflect on how Zechariah got things wrong. But there's also room to reflect on how the Lord did give Zechariah exactly what he asked for and presumably what he needed, and how even Zechariah's wavering and not being in quite the right place, even through that, the Lord blessed him. So now I want us to think about how that might look for us today. What about those times when we doubt? What about those times when we, when we read the scripture or we hear God's word preached or, or we study the Bible and we say, I, I, I just don't know about that. What do we do in those times? I think one of the things we do at those times is ask whether we are right to doubt or whether, whether we're getting it wrong. Are we, are we doubting for good reason? Are we asking good questions? Or is it that we're just saying, I just don't quite know if I buy the word of the Lord? We all have far more than Zechariah did here in the Bible. And so we have good reason to trust. And life circumstances are difficult. There are times where it is very reasonable to doubt. Okay. But often I think our doubts, our hesitation, our concern when the Lord speaks to us through his word is, is more about us listening to other stories, more about us keeping time in other ways, more about us having the things that we can see seem more real to us than the things we hear from the Lord. So when we doubt the Lord, we should turn the spotlight around and ask if we should doubt ourselves. But then along with that, just as Zechariah got a sign, we have a sign. We have ongoing signs. We have the whole gospel. We have in this book God's work with his people century after century. And so even even if there might be times that we would prefer to hear from God directly, prefer God to send Gabriel and tell us exactly what's coming next, we actually have more than Zechariah had, not less. And so we should be grateful to have the Bible through which God speaks and speaks and speaks. And third and finally, even at the times that we doubt, even at the times that we are sinfully doubtful, even at the times that we turn away from the Lord and say, I want no part of you, if we belong to the Lord, He still works out His plans for us. Human sin, human mistakes, human failures, human faults, they do not derail God's gracious plan of salvation. Your doubt Your doubt is no obstacle to God's grace. Our weakness is no obstacle to God's strength. And so even if we come like Zechariah and we say, how can this be? We can be encouraged. We should ask ourselves questions. We should work to to develop our faith. but, But most of all, we can be encouraged that God will work out his plan regardless of whether we succeed or fail. So that is one response, the response of questioning, and and we see the Lord responds graciously, but there is a better response in this text, and that better response is Elizabeth, and what she does when, when she is pregnant finally as an old woman, when she understands the Lord has done this for her, well, that's exactly how she responds. She says, the Lord, the Lord has done this for me. She gets that it's the Lord's work. And and the text isn't real clear on whether Zechariah manages to get across his whole vision to her or if his sign language just leaves her all confused. But, But the text tells us very clearly, Elizabeth understands this is God's work for her. This is God's work for her. And then she goes and she spends five months in seclusion. And the Gospel of Luke isn't totally clear with us why she does that. It's it's a little bit of a mystery. 
But it seems like the, the best answer and the best sense that we should get is that Elizabeth is so overwhelmed by the power of God. She is so grateful for this miracle that God has wrought in her life that she has to go and just spend five months praising the Lord. She is so grateful for what God has done that she just has to buckle down and focus on him week after week, month after month, and just say, Lord, you have done this for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I think that is where the text wants all of us to go. When we hear here of the promise of John the Baptist, of the one who came before the Lord Jesus and prepared the way for the Lord to come and save us, our response should not be to just flip on to the next page and keep going. Our response should be to say, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. So I want to close with two invitations and then a reminder. I would like to, I would like to invite you to spend the next five months just focused on praising the Lord all day, every day. Most of our lives are not like that. But I would like to really seriously invite you at least once this week and maybe even every day this week to spend five minutes, maybe even set a timer, but spend five minutes, sit down, maybe sit down with this text in front of you and just thank the Lord for what he has done. No requests, no anything except the Lord has done this for me, and I am so grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. At least once this week, maybe every day this week, just spend five focused minutes thanking the Lord and saying the Lord has done this for us. The second invitation, if you are as I have said a couple times, if you are a professing member of a Bible-believing church, if you've stood up in front of the church and said, yes, I belong to Jesus, then, then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper, and this will be a sign of God's work. It will be a sign that He fulfills His promises, and our partaking of it will be a good time for us to reflect. And whether you partake of the Supper or not, this will be a good time to spend five minutes or so, maybe ten minutes, it's about how long communion usually takes us, Maybe 10 minutes just being grateful for the work of Jesus Christ for us. The Lord has given us his word. The Lord has given us his supper. The Lord has given us so many gifts. He has come to save us. So let's celebrate and pay attention to that today. And finally, a reminder. A reminder. This is not about what we do. The message of this text is not, be like Elizabeth. It's not. This is about what God has done. The message of this text is look what Jesus has done. Look at how Jesus comes and draws people into him. And look at how God prepared the way for centuries and provided special messengers to his people and, and then sent Jesus in the fullness of time and then provided the scriptures for us. Look at what God has done to seek and to save us who were lost. That is the take-home message today. Look at how the Lord works to seek and to save the lost. You are invited to draw closer to, to real time, to the real story of the universe, and this is the story. Jesus comes to seek and to save us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have worked, that you have brought us into your people, that you have made us part of your family. And Lord, we ask that today, however we come, whether we come as someone who is dead set against you and we, 
we sit here, but we don't really believe. Or whether we have come as someone with like Zechariah who, who just wonders and doubts and isn't quite there. Or whether we come like Elizabeth and we say, praise be to the Lord, he has done this for me. Lord, however we come, help us to see Jesus. Help us to draw closer and closer to you. Father, on our own, we can never get to you. And so we are grateful that you have sent messages and messengers to us and that you yourself have come. Lord, help us to see Jesus. Help us to follow Jesus. Amen.